Welcome to Around the World in 80s Movies. My name is Vince Leo. I'm the author of the film review website, Quipster.net. I invite you to check out over 4,000 of my written reviews. You can read there anytime at Quipster.net. Q-W-I-P-S-T-E-R.net. I just want to let you know that I do a film review podcast that covers brand new movies out in the theaters. It is called the Quipster Film Review Podcast. Search for it wherever you're listening to this right now and you'll probably find it. As far as this show goes, it covers, of course, films of the 1980s. I just went through a trilogy of themed films that ended in a film from 1985 directed by Michael Schultz called Barry Gordy's The Last Dragon. Today, we're going to be continuing on with another film that was also directed by Michael Schultz, also from 1985. It is called Crush Groove. And this is going to kick off a three-part series looking at hip-hop films in the 1980s. Crush Groove being one of the main ones that people remember because it had a lot of the hip-hop talent, the big stars of the times in the mid-1980s. You had Run DMC in the film, Curtis Blow, The Fat Boys, Ella Cool J makes a small appearance as well as The Beastie Boys. Somehow Sheila E., of course, of uh, Prince Protégé fame, also makes an appearance. Actually, a co-starring role, really. Along with them, Blair Underwood is in the film. Rick Rubin playing himself. You even have appearances by New Edition, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, Donnie Simpson of BET fame. The director is Michael Schultz, as I mentioned, and the screenplay, Ralph Farquhar. Now, when we're thinking about Crush Groove, which is a film that I revisit fairly frequently, it resides on my list of guilty pleasures. I think this is a film that generates unintentional laughs from its worst moments, but that's something that only makes me love it all the more, to the point where I actually think it's a pretty fun and interesting flick on its own. A big part of why I like it comes from the fact that old-school hip-hop is fantastic in this film. You have early glimpses at rap's second generation as they were build at the time run dmc curtis blow which i guess is more first generation rap uh the fat boys lo cool j bc boys all those others uh, back then these acts were almost never played on mtv or really most radio stations and that left it up to our own imaginations as to just what it was like in the middle of the rap scene at the time and here not only could we now see all of our favorite performers we could also enjoy them act or well <laughs> trying to act and perform in a mainstream format the seed of Crush Groove started when uh, noted Israeli film producer Menachem Golan, he had already produced two breakdancing films in Break In and Break In 2 Electric Boogaloo just a year before. thought it would be interesting to make a film about a burgeoning form of music that may have been deemed faddish, but was quite popular among the much-desired young demographic of filmgoers. A film about rap. Russell Simmons, whose Rush Entertainment controlled 20 acts, including the hottest handful, 
was approached on the idea by Golan, but much like he did when he was approached to provide music for Harry Belafonte's Beat Street, the project really didn't seem to be putting the rap scene in a good light, at least according to Simmons, and and it looked at rap as if it was a passing fad, so he declined. However, it did give him the idea to make a real rap movie if he could get the backing, and that backing would arrive when, after his acts were on a West Coast tour, they hit the Los Angeles region and sparked the interest from up-and-coming black Hollywood filmmakers named George Jackson, who was a fellow New Yorker, came from Bronx and Harlem, and Doug McHenry, the future producers of films like New Jack City and the House Party movies throughout the 90s. They brought in an experienced director, Michael Schultz, to the mix, who had originally envisioned the film as kind of a concert flick with all of the hottest rap artists that mostly concentrated on Run DMC. However, the artists themselves, as the film was being pitched to them, felt like they would like to make what they would consider to be a real movie, do some real acting. And that led to a couple of ideas about the business and the dangers that were eventually rejected, but the core elements would remain because... After brainstorming a bit and rejecting screenwriter Ralph Farquhar's grittier first draft that was meant to tell a much more realistic story on the rise of these rap artists, Russell Simmons' own story about how he began Rush Management as well as his record label Def Jam with Rick Rubin, who also appears as himself in the film as I mentioned, it proved to be an idea too attractive for them to pass up, and the stage was set to make a feature film. Warner Brothers agreed to provide the modest funding for it, They saw the opportunity to sell soundtracks here, as well as to promote one of their hotter acts at the time, Sheila E., who was produced by Prince and who had been quite lucrative for Warner Brothers on the heels of the film and the soundtrack to Purple Rain just the year before. Sheila E. was put into the film not only for the marketing there, but also the prevailing attitude at the time that female audiences would not go to see a male-dominated film without a love interest to hook them into the story. Sheila E., A genuinely talented musician was unfortunately not street enough for many viewers who actually lived in New York who jeered at her musical numbers and woefully out-of-place appearance as the beat of the street, even if they were objectively good funk-pop jams independently. Crush Groove is loosely based on the story of how Russell Simmons, called Russell Walker in the movie, and played by the only experienced actor in the main crew, Blair Underwood, who would appear on television in L.A. Law, as well as a a few films. He's here in his big screen debut. They had moved on from arguing about whether Fab Five Freddy should play that role. Eventually, they came to not being able to agree on that, so they moved on to a professional actor here, Underwood. Rick Rubin created the breakthrough hip-hop label Def Jam and dubbed it Crush Groove in the movie, although the originally intended title had been Rap Attack at the time that they were starting to go through the script. And the film concentrates a lot on the kinds of problems that they had in creating Rush Entertainment and Def Jam, starting from nothing. There is some manufactured drama that was not part of the real story of Russell Simmons' beginnings with Rush Management. Rush Management being the talent representation company that he started in music. Yeah, dealings with some drug dealers, some mafia types, in order to get the cash to keep all of those acts together. They threatened to peel away his talent while also extorting him for more money than he could afford to give them. That was part of the music scene, but not part of... Russell Simmons' original story. Back then, artists flocked to get recording contracts, which were mostly obtained by appearing in talent shows or competitions, and the winner ends up getting signed to a record label. So amid the dog-eat-dog world of urban music, Crush Groove also features another manufactured aspect, a love triangle between Russell, 
and run of Run DMC, Joseph Simmons, for the affection of that funk talent at the center of the movie, Sheila E. Now, there's not really a second that goes by in Crush Groove, despite its flaws, where I'm not thoroughly entertained by its juvenile, its wide-eyed charm. And I will admit, there is a huge nostalgia factor that comes into play hearing such songs as King of Rock by Run DMC, A Love Bizarre, which featured Sheila E. with vocals by Prince as well. I Can't Live Without My Radio gets spotlighted for, you know, maybe about 45 seconds. Hello, Cool J, who really steals the show here. It's one of the lines in the song. If I Roll the World by Curtis Blow. Tender Love by The Force MDs was a big hit for them, an early track that was produced by mega producers Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis. There are many other lesser-known but cult hip-hop hits in the mix. So if you're a big hip-hop head from the 1980s, you'll definitely at least love all of the music. There are a few examples of seeing what it would be like to witness these acts perform live on stage, and although they are obviously lip-syncing to some degree here, it's about as close as we're likely going to get without this 8th generation dub of an underground bootleg of what actually was filmed at the time. Fresh and vibrant and among the best of the genre, this is a terrific pool of talent that paved the way for all of the artists in hip-hop today, especially featuring here one of the all-time great rap crews to ever hold the mic, Run DMC, in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame today. Now, there is a curiosity factor to many of the decisions that were employed by the makers of Crush Groove, which may be known, but I've yet to hear satisfactory answers. For instance, nearly everyone plays himself or herself in the film, except for Russell, who's being portrayed by Blair Underwood, as I mentioned. Perhaps they needed a better actor. The actual Russell Simmons appears here in a small part as the owner of a concert venue. Now, also a large curiosity, while every single one of the rap acts in the film are born and bred in New York City, or one of the boroughs of New York, in the middle of all of this distinctly Bronx, Queens hip-hop is Sheila E., an Oakland native with the trademark sounds of Minneapolis funk, of course, produced by Prince. There's no way a band with this dynamic a sound or ability could be struggling to gain acceptance in the inner-city boroughs of metropolitan New York, nor would it be able to without the necessary street cred. And perhaps Sheila E. being a Warner Brothers artist and this being a Warner Brothers film tells the true tale. Prince's music was red-hot at the time, and that's why it was included as part of the way to expose this to a wider audience of filmgoers and music listeners. And despite the good music, which the movie portrays as coming together with a minimal of effort despite good production values, you have entertaining dialogue here, very colorful situations. Crush Groove will probably never be considered a truly good movie by most definitions, even if it is a fan favorite. The music numbers are the main draw here, but they are loosely hung on a very thin plot without enough suspense in where things ultimately go. Also, the acting is very spotty. And I suppose I could cut a little slack to these actors since almost none of them have ever performed in any kind of acting roles before. And seeing Run, Sheila E., Marky D. show some decent chops actually does make a good impression. They were aided by Michael Schultz's wife, Gloria, who served as the acting coach for this inexperienced lot of musicians. It doesn't help that the script has a silliness that doesn't allow them to get away with much seriousness, especially with the strictly comedic fat boys taking up a great deal of the film's screen time. Although Crush Groove would ultimately be rated R, much of the originally intended dialogue was sanitized to reduce the F-bombs to just a handful 
Changes were also made to the slang of the film, which was also minimized in order to broaden the appeal to markets unfamiliar with the vernacular of New York's hip-hop scene. It's an R-rated film. I would actually rate this as PG with a few F-bombs. There is a love scene that's a little bit steamy between Sheila E. and Blair Underwood, but it does not contain any nudity, and I would really rank it as no more steamier than what you would see on a soap opera at the time. Contrived situations involving the love triangle were also injected for commercial considerations and the drug and crime elements for added drama. Those are unseemly even if they're done with a soft sell approach. Not everyone liked the fabricated nature of the story at that time, especially in the way that Run or Joseph Simmons was portrayed as caring more about money than his family, betraying his brother at one point in the film, as well as in letting Sheila E. emasculate him. And even slap him in one scene. That did not meet well with Jam Master J, who didn't think that should be shown. Crush Groove would end up being a modest hit. It was shot on a meager budget of $3 million. It debuted in second place during its debut week. Maybe first place, depending on where you read your charts. Box Office Mojo has it debuting at second place. However, Crush Groove received some negative feedback in the press when fights began to break out at various screenings, especially in New York. That cut into the film's momentum, and it would plummet out of theaters within six weeks with a small but respectable overall take of $11 million. It did even better on the home video circuit. Crush Groove, as a film, it's dated. It's quintessentially 80s, though. I can't imagine recommending it to anyone who is not a fan of old-school hip-hop, except perhaps someone who is just entertained by its kitschy cheesiness. But for those like me who love all of these songs and these acts and the era it was made in, we just learn to overlook its substantial flaws, letting the music and the nostalgia infuse us with the feeling of the fun and the good nature with which this film was intended to be. Yes, you can have a good time with a less than stellar movie, and there's no better example than Crush Groove, and that's why I'm ultimately giving it a recommendation of three stars out of four. Three stars on my scale means that I do recommend it for those people who like this kind of movie. If you grew up enjoying hip-hop of the 1980s, or you just like goofy 1980s films that are absolutely entrenched in the middle of the 80s that speak to you on that level, I definitely recommend crush groove for that even bad movie lovers will probably get a kick out of it for certain aspects and the music is great it's a fun music video with some drama in it and along those lines if that sounds of appeal to you i definitely recommend catching crush groove when you can continuing on with the hip-hop of the 1980s and i should mention here that i actually was a hip-hop dj for the late 1980s all the way through the 90s at a local college radio station so i'm very familiar with this era of hip-hop so we're going to continue on with that in mind with a film that i have not seen actually i think since the late 1980s it is called wild style it's a classic film for those people who love hip-hop it was made in 1982 i think it was officially released in 1983 IMDb listed as a 1983 film. So well, let's go with that. From 1983, Wild Style, for next week featuring a lot of the hip-hop acts as well as breakdancing and tagging and all the other stuff in the mix, the hip-hop culture from 1982-83. And that will be our review for next week. Thanks, everyone, for listening. I hope that you enjoyed this review. If you did, I do encourage you to click the subscribe button and you'll continue to get all of my reviews as they come out. I try to do these once a week and release it around the weekend, sometimes a little earlier, sometimes a little bit late. But don't forget, you can check out my website, quipster.net, for more reviews, including reviews of many, many other films of the 1980s and 90s and 2000s and all the way up through today. 
Quipster.net is where to go. Q-W-I-P-S-T-E-R.net. And until next time, thanks everyone for joining me on this journey around the world in 80s movies. (laughs) 